My father uh, used to tell me, <laughs> well, he told me lots of things, but one of the things he used to tell me was, get your head out of the clouds. Now, it was just one of his normal statements. The reason he said that is twofold. Number one, I was on a roof with him. Uh, my dad started a small little roofing business. He worked all night at the shop, and then in the morning we'd go out and do roofs together. And my dad always felt it was important you know, being uh, raised Amish and, and a farm, all that, that you have to teach your son a trade uh, just in case he ever needs something to fall back on. And so my dad took that serious and he started a roofing business and my brother and I worked on the roof with my dad. Because of my attention deficit disorder and because I had a tendency to daydream, I was always in jeopardy of falling off a roof and my dad would get so upset. You know, Ron, get your head out of the clouds. And uh, I just always, you know, a boy will do. He's not doing his job. He's just looking up and, and watching. And today, the disciples of Jesus are pretty much going to hear the same thing by a couple angels. Get your head out of the clouds. Why? Because this is the day that Jesus gets to go home. 33 years ago, Jesus came down to this earth. Today's the day in the last uh, paragraph of the book of Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus goes home again. And I just, I wonder what that was like for him. He left the presence of the Heavenly Father. He left uh, heaven and all of its glory. And he left all those angels and all those friends that he had there. All the saints that had gone before uh, are all there. And he left all of that to come down to our level. And as the song says, he came down to my level because I couldn't get up to his. And so he had to come all the way down here. Luke's been telling us this story. In fact, at the beginning of Luke, that's how Luke starts. Jesus comes down out of heaven. At the end of Luke, he goes back up. He's ascending back up to him. In the beginning, the Son of God comes down. He's born of a woman. At the end, he is born of death. And the Son of God goes back up into the presence of God. His story at the beginning of Luke begins with all kinds of worship and all kinds of praise. The shepherds are praising him. The angels are praising him. Mary is praising him. Simeon and Anna are praising him. But at the end of the story, at the end of Luke, it's Luke's it's uh, Jesus' disciples who are praising him. It's Jesus' followers and all the women who are there who are praising him. And it's even some of Jesus' family members. Why are they so excited? Why is this whole story draped in praise? Because of one word, resurrection. I've been just bombarding you lately with proofs of the resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? Because it is the, it is the point that makes our religion legit. Out of all the world religions, out of all the founders of all the world religions, only one ever beat death. And only one was ever resurrected. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after Jesus' after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, he just kept appearing and appearing. You and I don't have all the appearances of Jesus in this book. There's way too many to have recorded in this book. We have some of those big highlights, but Jesus appeared over and over and over again. Every time the disciples were together, he would just show up, giving them many, many proofs. 
just think about that. For 40 days after Jesus died, suddenly he's alive, and for 40 straight days. You know why 40 days is important? Because hallucinations don't last for 40 days. Do you know why Jesus appeared to groups and to crowds? Because groups and crowds do not share a hallucination. And I know skeptics out there and doubters want to tell you it was all just a big hallucination. They were all hallucinating that they saw Jesus alive. That can't be the case. And so because I've been giving you all these proofs, I'm going to finish this series with just the last two proofs that meant a lot to me. The last two proofs are the changed lives of Jesus' brothers, James and Jude. That's right, Jesus had siblings. Two of those siblings are our brothers, James and Jude. Why is it so significant? Why is that a proof? Because these guys didn't believe in Jesus at the beginning. They questioned the ministry of their brother. In John chapter 7, verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. In other words, they were huge doubters. In fact, at one point, they even thought he was crazy. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of Jesus, for they said, he is out of his mind. God gave you doubters, people who doubt the story, just like maybe some of you do, and shows you that they became believers. What has to happen in a person's life to be that serious of a doubter that you think Jesus is out of his mind to suddenly committing your life to following him? And then what that following would lead for these two brothers? In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14, they're all there together in the upper room. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women who followed Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. These two brothers, James and Jude, start out as doubters, start out as skeptics. They become a powerful eyewitness to the resurrection they both become powerful uh, powerfully involved in the early church at jerusalem they go on to write two books of the new testament the book of james and the book of jude and tradition tells us that they go on to suffer painful deaths as martyrs because they were followers of their brother jesus when you go into the book of James or into the book of Jude, they don't start out by saying, I was a brother to him. They start out by talking about Christ the Lord. They too had to accept Jesus as being their Savior. This is just one of many proofs. And for 40 days, he showed himself these proofs. At the end of that 40 days, what happens to Jesus? He leaves the earth and goes back to the Father. And that's what the last paragraph of Luke is all about. I have loved this journey with you. I have loved studying the book of Luke and looking closely at the life of Jesus. But the way he leaves this planet is just as supernatural as when he came. We're in chapter 24, starting with verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, Jesus said. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high that this power is the Holy Spirit you and I all have the Holy Spirit if you've accepted Jesus Christ if you've become a follower if you've been baptized the Holy Spirit enters you and you now have the Holy Spirit that gives you power for living you can't walk around anymore saying oh I'm not sure I can do that I'm just human you know yeah you're just human but you're human with the Holy Spirit Verse 50, and when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up 
into heaven. This is very simple language to describe something that is nearly indescribable. Jesus has already demonstrated his supernatural power and his ability to move. It's all been lateral up to this point. He could supernaturally move through walls. He could supernaturally move in behind locked doors. He could supernaturally move from one location to the next. It's all been on a, a, a very horizontal plane. But now he shows his power to move supernaturally vertical, and he just starts going up. When you read this portion of him being taken up into heaven, what does your imagination tell you this was like? Oh, I'm sure there's a few of you in here. You might be, maybe you envision Superman. You know, he on the ground, takes off, ah, you know. Most of us probably, because we're talking about Jesus, see a more slow, angelic lifting, harps in the background, angels singing in the distance. I don't know what you see. But in your imagination, you're standing in front of Jesus, and suddenly he just starts lifting. And this isn't some magic trick on the boardwalk of some city. This isn't levitating off the ground three inches. He just keeps going up and up and up. And in that moment, if you were there, could you take your eyes off him? Probably not. Acts chapter 1 gives us a few more details about this moment. After he said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud ended up hiding him from their sight. Oh, the cloud. Why mention a cloud? This is so important. It has strong Old Testament connections to it. In the Old Testament, whenever God would appear, a cloud would be representative of his splendor and his glory and his majesty. When, when God comes down on Mount Sinai to give Moses the Ten Commandments, he comes down in a cloud. It says this huge cloud sits right on top of the mountain. When the Israelites are being led out across the wilderness for 40 years, guess what? There's a cloud that goes before them. They just keep their eye on that cloud and follow that cloud. And that cloud represented the presence of God in their lives. When the tabernacle, when Moses establishes a tabernacle, a place of worship, a place where God would live, before he could even enter it, he couldn't even go in it because a cloud came down and sat on top of that tabernacle. Later on, when the permanent temple is put in place, or, or what was believed to be permanent temple, before they could even go in it, a cloud filled that temple up. When Jesus comes back a second time, we're told that he comes back in the clouds. All that time, all these clouds that are mentioned are representative of two things, God's presence and God's glory. So Jesus being lifted up and going up into the cloud goes right into the presence of God. Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 1, I think it is, says that he has ascended up into heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus goes home to a father that he must have missed so desperately. Verse 10 of chapter 1 of Acts. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood with them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he'll come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. 
They did probably just what you and I would do. They probably watched him till the last moment. And then they just kept looking up. You know, maybe for a moment there, they were a little confused. Well, Jesus said he'd come back, so maybe we ought to just wait a minute here, you know, I don't know. I can imagine what it was like when Jesus entered heaven. After being gone all that time, there must have been an explosion of praise, must have been an explosion of worship, must have been an explosion of excitement in heaven. All those angels so excited to have Jesus back in their, pre in their presence. And then they, Jesus, what, what happens now? They become my witnesses all over the world. Wow. I got to see that. And all the angels run to the windows of heaven. They look down and they see all those guys going, <laughs> Jesus, they're not moving. <laughs> you know, what? Jesus grabs two angels, says, go down, tell them to get going. <laughs> so two angels come down, men of Galilee, you know, come on, let's get going. He'll come back. You haven't, why are you standing here like you've lost somebody you'll never get back? Boy, I read that this week. <laughs> I, I have a deposit in heaven of a brother. I have a deposit in heaven of a sister. I have a deposit in heaven of my dad. Why do you stand here looking so sad? You get him back. I needed that word this week. But come on, it's time to get busy. There's still time. There's still air in your lungs. There's still blood pumping through your heart. It's not too late to make changes. It's not too late to have impact in someone else's life. It's not too late. Let's get going. Let's go do this. And they go back. <laughs> well, we get what happens to them in the last verse of the book of Luke. The entire last verse, verse 52, then they worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. They could not contain their joy. They could not contain their praise. They could not stop worshiping him. Day in and day out until the Holy Spirit falls, they just kept worshiping him and worshiping him. It's one of the reasons I wanted to go early today. I said, let's have offering and communion. Not that we're rushing through it, but let's just get that done. Let me speak, and then Jake, take us into a moment of worship. And that's coming in a few moments. This joy-filled hearts. Remember where they had just been. They had been to the depths of despair when Jesus died. They've been to the depths of fear. They were even hiding at one moment. And now joy so overwhelms them that they can't contain it. They want to sing about Jesus. They want to sing about his glory. They want to praise and worship him. Why? Because he came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. His. 